And uh, this week I am happy, very happy, to have film reviewer, critic, and film lover and horror defender Michelle Swope of the venerated horror site Dread Central is, is my guest. I wanted to have Michelle on the show to, to get her viewpoint from someone who is not only out there on the front line seeing what's new, different, and great, but also because she is someone who actually, can you believe this, gets film. Anyone can be a critic. I, I put that in quotes. As we discuss, online comments now passes reviews. However, they are not critical thinking pieces that can look at a film within context and make a solid determination based on the evidence at hand. Michelle sees what's going on out there and also has a few thoughts on, on where the horror genre is going. I, I absolutely love talking with her. So, so sit back, have a coffee, an adult beverage, or whatever floats your boat, and enjoy Michelle Swope from Dread Central. Pretty much what I do is I write about horror movies. That's all I do. Um, I do, right now I'm doing pretty much mostly interviews, it seems like, um, but I do also write movie reviews. And um, I've been doing it for about, gosh, about four years or so. Um, and the way I got started is I just um, saw an ad, I think it was on Facebook, uh, that there was a site that was looking for writers uh, to write movie reviews and I thought well why not so I just reached out to them and they were really good um, they took me on um, you know gave me a lot of pointers gave me a lot of advice and um, I think I've been really fortunate over the years to have editors who were willing to take a little time with me you know if we needed that and and in your reviews for for starting out, did you have a bent or a focus for horror? No, I just kind of started from nowhere, really. Um, the what I was doing, I was writing it was for a site called Horror News Net, and um, yes. I was kind of reviewing, I guess you could would say bad horror movies <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, so it was it was. Um, it was interesting and it was certainly challenging. Um, I, I'm not the kind of person who believes in bashing a movie. Even if I don't like a movie, I think that there's a constructive way to talk about it, you know, and you can still be positive about it. There's a lot of people out there who just, I don't know if they do it for clicks or likes or why, what their motivation is, but you've, I know you've seen it. There's a whole lot of people out there who just enjoy bashing things, um, and especially movies, when it comes to movies, and um, I just, you know, trashing the filmmaker and things like that, I just don't think that there's a reason to do that, so that's never been my approach. I always try to keep it positive, and um, I can, you know, write a review about a movie that I don't like without being mean. Why is it that people took to the internet, with, with all the things that the internet can do, it seems like the majority of, of people just want to hate on movies. What is the difference between the average comment, whether you find it on Rotten Tomatoes, you find it on IMDb, or just under one of your articles, under one of your reviews, um, what is the difference between that and, and a full-fledged reviewer? Um, that's, really, that's really kind of a hard question, and that's just kind of how I am, first of all, as a person. I mean, that's just kind of who I am. And I don't think it's difficult. Uh, there is with the internet this mob mentality that we see with a lot of things, not just movies. People, you know, for whatever reason, enjoy being part of the mob mentality and attacking things. And yeah, I don't know if it's for likes or clicks or what 
exactly motivates these people. Some of them, I think, are just enjoy being assholes, honestly. I, I mean, yeah, some of them I just can't come up with another reason for it. I don't know why the internet has become such a, a megaphone for these assholes. And, and just to tear something apart for the sake of tearing apart, based on what, what I love also, one of the things I constantly harp on are these trailer reviews. Um, it, you can't judge a movie by a 30 second trailer or a 60 second trailer. I mean, yeah, I equate it with walking into a restaurant, standing in the doorway, taking three sniffs and going, yup, this place sucks. Yeah, exactly. And, and I totally agree with that. I, there have been movies where I've seen a trailer and gone, oh, wow, this looks awesome. And the movie, I didn't like the movie or, you know, the opposite has been true. And you, you're right. You can't, you know, judge a movie based on the trailer. And I don't really care for those trailer reviews. Um, but I, I think I just feel like it's just, I don't know, that there's just so much negativity in the world. People seem to thrive on that, especially nowadays. And I think you know, maybe that gets these people more attention if they're negative about movies and they trash them, you know, and say the filmmakers are awful and things like that. Somebody sends you a screener. It's a horror film. Let's just keep it simple for that way. They send it over to you. What do you look for? When you're sitting down, you, you pop this screener and you click on that link. What do you look for? Uh, I look for something different, something unique that I haven't seen before. Um, you know, instead of the same old stories that we've all seen a million times, you know, um, just something different. It doesn't have to be great. Um, I, I'm a big fan of independent film and, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where my heart is. So I, I try to be supportive of indie filmmakers, especially, and, um, yeah, you don't have to put a lot of money into it to make a good movie. And I firmly believe that. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it done, you know, um, so I just look for something unique that, that stands out in some way or, you know, does it have a message or is it just, is it really scary? You know, did they use cool practical effects? Um, I, I really hate CGI. I'm, I don't like CGI at all. And I think we've had this conversation, you and I. Um, so what is it about you, whether a reviewer or a human being, that CGI puts you off of? What, what is that? Well, part of it is, you know, I grew up in the 80s when we had these awesome horror movies that were, you know, all these cool practical effects. And so some of it is nostalgia for me, but it's just what I like. I just, I, I don't, it seems like everything is computerized these days. There's all these superhero movies, you know, I'm not a fan of those. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with, if you, if you like superhero movies, that's cool, you know, if that's your thing, but it's not my thing. And it just seems like everything is computerized. And when I sit down and watch a horror movie, I don't want to see that. You know, I, it's still possible to do amazing practical effects in 2019, you know? <laughs> it's not something yeah. that went away with the 80s. <laughs> I, I think one of the biggest mistakes made is, you know, the, the easy access to behind the scenes or how it's done extras on DVDs and, and online now and everything because it's kind of like a magician giving away the secrets. Like, I really don't want to know how Rob Bottin did the effects for the thing. When you start seeing these people showing you, well, we did this and we, we did this shortcut and we got this and it's a puppet, you're kind of like, oh. But we seem to like want to consume these details. So for me, yes, it's nostalgia like you said. I grew up in the 80s as well. But with CGI, we kind of already know how it's done. Well, they did it on a computer. 
I, I agree. I agree with what you just said. I, I usually don't want to know the magic behind it. There's, there's, you know, once in a while I'll see something that is really unusual or it catches my eye for some reason. And I'll be like, I really wonder how they did that, you know, but yeah, but usually in general, I don't want to know because yeah, it does take away some of the magic behind it. And I kind of prefer to keep the magic. It also allows people to suddenly think they've become the experts and, and now, oh, well, I know how they did this. And then they do that and blah, 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 blah. And, and they start pontificating, which then channels into this know-it-all attitude, which manifests itself on the internet in comments and, and so-called reviews in which actually they may know how to do some of these things. But the fact is I've seen so many reviewers, like full-fledged reviewers that really truly don't know film. I'm never going to say, I know everything there is to know about a subject. I don't think you ever can. And I, right. I enjoy the fact that I'm as old as I am and I'm still constantly learning new things. Um, that's something that appeals to me. Yeah, you're there, but you're right. There are people who just want to be experts and go on the internet and, you know, brag about, Oh, I know everything about this. And I, I know how they did all of this, you know, look at me. I'm so smart. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> Well, they'll, they'll do that. But for example, I, I use an example in a previous interview with, uh, I chose a stylistic effort on garlic and gunpowder to use rear projection green screen to, to mimic that look of, of 1960s and 70s films where they're driving. And you can obviously tell they're driving in front of a projected screen, you know, but that was a stylistic choice by the director to do that. And mm -hmm. I did it with garlic and gunpowder and you have people go, oh, well, with today's CGI and blah, 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 they could have done a better job. And it's like, you may know the technology, but you don't know film because I chose for it to look that way. I wanted it to look like that because this is a throwback to it's a mad, 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 mad world. And with that projection, like that car chase with Dick Sean and all that stuff, it's very clear they're two vehicles on rockers in, in front of a projection screen. And when James Bond, when Sean Connery's driving the Aston Martin, on a highway and, and the car is following him and we can very clearly see he's obviously not outside and he's not in a car. And in fact, for me, it would have been cheaper just to shoot it normally than to go through all the green screening and rotoscoping and all that stuff that goes with it. Right. Right. And yeah, but, but you're right. That was a choice, you know, right. on the part of the filmmaker. And I think that people should respect that more than they generally seem to. You know, you, you have all these new movies coming out and, and some of them are tips of the hat to, to previous films from 10, 20, maybe even 40 years ago. And yet people aren't understanding that at all. So what do, what do you see coming down the pike for the genre itself? What do you, what do, you do about a, a generation or not even a generation, a multitude of people that simply don't, not only don't know, is that important that people should have some kind of film and specifically in horror, some kind of horror literacy? Yes, it's important. And uh, my husband and I talk about this a lot because, you know, I'll see something that someone said online and just be annoyed. And so we kind of <laughs> vent to each other, you know, things like, you know, there's there's been all these articles coming out written by young people who aren't familiar with movies made even, you know, 30 years ago. And I think that's absurd. The access that we have to the internet and to digital and to, I mean, oh my gosh, we can, you know, we have access to just about anything we would ever want as far as movies and entertainment goes. Um, so why aren't these people spending more of their time educating themselves about movies from 30, 40, 50 years ago, instead of writing these, you know, 
think pieces on why a movie from you know 1985 was problematic in 2019, you know, by yeah. 2019 standards. That kind of thing really irks me. And um, you know, look it up. Oh my gosh, if you don't know, Google is an actual thing that you can use. You know, I'm always reading things and. And yeah, if I don't know, if I if I have a question about something, I'll look it up. Well, then we roll into that CGI thing that you were talking about. And that is when people become so used to something. Uh, like, for example, you, you look at, like, I've, I've heard people make fun of, like, you know, the original Godzilla, for example, the original 1954. And they go, well, it's, it's obviously it's a guy in a suit. However, if you look at some aspects of the legendary films, well, it's very clear it's all green screen. And it's all, you know, the, those landscapes aren't real and they're animated, our eyes and our, our minds, I should say, have come to accept this as, well, this is the new normal and anything else. I mean, I mean, think of the CGI in Independence Day. I mean, you know, there's Roland Emmerich blowing smoke up our ass saying, well, we waited 20 years to develop these effects. So you waited 20 years for processing speeds because what what is here that is just so amazing? Yeah. And I just, I just, I just dislike it so much. And maybe I'm getting old, you know, maybe that's it. I don't know, but I just really dislike CGI. And it's kind of sad because I've almost gotten to the point where I'll screen a new horror movie. And if it's, you know, completely practical effects, I get really excited. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, oh my God, it's actually not CGI. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's kind of a sad state of affairs, I think, that I've, you know, I have that mindset at this point because everything, literally everything is CGI to death. I just, I don't understand the appeal. It, I just really don't like it. You know, there you are, you're a film reviewer, you get a screener that comes in, in, in the horror department. Are you seeing more reliance on CGI from things like CGI blood uh, to, to other things where practical could have stood in? And, and what do you do in a situation like this? I mean, what do you see coming down the line for the genre, uh, especially with, with the idea and the concept? We can move even away a little from CGI to the fact that so many remakes, reboots, all of this stuff. What are you seeing coming down the line for, for the genre as a whole? And will anything ever swing back? Will, will the pendulum go back to you know, the glory days of, of the seven, even 70s horror, which is extremely different from 80s horror? What are your thoughts on all of that? Um, well, it does seem like I'm seeing a lot more straight CG, uh, not CGI, straight practical effects in horror movies, um, which I think is a good thing. Um, there was a movie that came out recently, I'm not going to give away the name of it or who it was, but um, that I really, really love. And um, when I talked with the director, they told me they shared there, there's a monster, a creature in the movie. And we talked about how um, we were discussing the creature itself. And they were like, did it, did it look okay? And I was like, no, I loved it. It was great. And they, and they shared that they had just kind of um, tweaked the eyes just a little bit with a little, you know, computerized stuff. Sure. And um, I was like, did you really? Like, I totally couldn't tell. But, you know, we were having a conversation about whether or not I thought the monster looked good. And I did think it looked really good. Like I really love the monster. Um, but yeah, they shared that that was all that they that they did was they just tweaked it, the eyes a little bit, you know, around the eyes and around the mouth, to make it a little more lifelike. Um, but I thought that was an interesting conversation because, I mean, if I had my way about it, I would like to see things continue going in that direction. In terms of where horror is going, that's a good question because I and I think about this a lot because. Um, you know, in the past couple of years, we've seen uh, new terms 
uh, the new terms elevated horror and prestige horror have been floating around. And um, even directors, uh, like people like Ari Aster and uh, Jordan Peele, aren't referring to their movies as horror movies. And right. <laughs> that kind of boggles my mind, but it's, it's, and, and it's really frustrating when clearly what they're making is horror. Um, but these movies have been, you know, big moneymakers and have just been insanely popular. And um, I, I don't know if uh, they're just, they're hesitant to associate themselves with the term horror, you know, because they feel like that's not going to be as popular. Um, horror is still sort of looked down upon, even though, yes. even though movies like, you know, Get Out and Midsummer are hugely popular and they are horror movies. You know, horror is still kind of thought of as, you know, slashers and blood and gore and, and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, this whole idea of a horror movie being thought-provoking or making some sociopolitical statement is not new um, at all. I mean, Thank you. <laughs> you can look way, way back in the history of horror, you know, and it's always been there. Horror movies have always you know, in, in some way spoken to the current climate as far as what's going on in the world right now. And I think that's what one thing that's so cool about horror. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be in your face obvious what they're talking about, but it can still make a statement and, and make you really make you think um, and not just be blood and gore and slashers because that's not what horror is. So, well, and I think horror is always at its worst when it has an agenda. Horror, like you said, yeah. should just be pure and, and do its job without trying to aspire to something or be rude. I mean, technically, wouldn't we call Rosemary's Baby elevated horror? And I mean, Get Out wasn't my favorite horror movie of, what year was that, 2017? And just the, the mere fact of me saying that, you know, well, it wasn't my favorite horror movie that year. You know, people thought I was a hater. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I'm not hating on it at all. It's a, it's an excellent movie, but you know, as far as my taste in horror and and the things that I want to see, that wasn't my favorite movie that year. So what? You know, I mean, right. you have to like the same things. Well, but see, we do. You see, on the <laughs> internet, we you and I can disagree as long as we disagree on the same thing. So you know, when when you have a get out, or for example, I'm I'm sitting in it chapter two last weekend and michelle it was the first time in years that I'm, I'm looking at my my the time i'm looking at my phone and i'm going oh my god when is this over <laughs> and you know everybody's like it's it it's it and it's like yeah it's it we're, we're looking at things through nostalgia for a love of the original one with tim curry uh, but everybody's forgetting what stephen king really went after in the book and that the filmmakers and studios were nervous about the true essence of what King did, because there is a very important scene from the book that was totally deleted. And what they did to replace it in chapter two was pretty lame. And then we have to have, uh, you know, kind of an agenda there, too, where one of the characters is gay and had a secret gay love. And it's like, I don't understand what this has to do with anything. Why don't you focus more on why these kids are so important to the destruction of it, which was not covered in the first part, is not covered in the second part, but is extremely well covered that the universe handpicked these kids in King's book to do battle with. Them, and that's never covered. I mean, the blueprint was there with the book. Just just make, make the movie out of the book. Right, exactly. That's what I don't understand. I mean, I've seen people debating. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to see it chapter two yet, but I've seen all these debates online where, you know, people fighting about the fact that there's things in the movie 
that aren't in the book and vice versa. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, like, this is just right. ridiculous. I mean, but you're right. Yeah, there's so much uh, material there in the book because King King's work is just freaking scary, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's it shouldn't be difficult to make. Right. Well, and I agree. Like someone wrote online, I'm so impressed with the filmmakers of It Chapter 2 to open the movie about homophobia. It's like, first of all, you didn't read the book because that is a key scene in the book. So don't be giving credit to the filmmakers for simply adapting what Stephen King did 30 right. years ago. Right, exactly. Okay, before homophobia became a, a permanent part of our lexicon, King wrote about that. And the point is, he, the guy is attacked not because of his sexuality, but because he was childlike. It was very clear in the book. That's why it broke its usual modus operandi of killing children and went after this guy. But instead, that's all lost in the film translation. And it's simply because I, I guess, you know, he was the victim of, of an attack and they throw him in the water and, and it just happened to be there. Yeah, that's where the focus needs to be. And it just, I mean, you're totally right. It's, it's, it just seems like so many people have a specific agenda that they want to push with, you know, their movie a, a lot of the time now. And, and that isn't how it should be. Just, just make a horror movie. Right. What happened to a movie just being scary, you know, just, right. just being scary, like actually scary. Like, I feel like I'm always on this quest to find the scariest movie I can find, you know, because that feeling of fear, I've talked to other horror fans about this, um, that, that feeling of being afraid is like a rush, you know, and I feel like I'm always chasing that, you know, I'm always trying to get my next, you know, horror fix, sort of, I guess I would say. Um, and it doesn't happen very often, you know, so, and I watch a lot of horror movies, like a ridiculous amount <laughs> of horror movies. Um, because I'm always looking for that, that next really good scare. But when you find so it, it's what would you, fantastic. What would you say then is in all the movies you've seen since a child, what is the scariest movie to Michelle Swope? Oh my goodness. People always ask me that and it's so hard to pick one. Um, gosh. Well, when A Nightmare on Elm Street came out, um, that terrified me. Uh, so I would have to say probably A Nightmare on Elm Street or even The Ring. Really, I can't think of another movie that scared me as bad as The Ring. What was it about these two films that struck you? Because I heard someone say one time that the most important thing about horror is that it's personal. What scares one does not scare another. There are people that, who have strong religious convictions who think The Exorcist is the most terrifying, yet somebody without those religious convictions thinks it's, it's a total laugh riot. Yeah. A Nightmare on Elm Street. What was it? You must have been probably in your teens, I take it, when you saw it. Something I mean, like that. Something theaters. like that. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> close to that. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But just, what was it that appealed to you about it that, that struck a chord in you? Uh, just the whole idea of Freddy getting you in your sleep. I, I Maybe, and I, gosh, I just now kind of had a revelation. I've never, until, I never thought about this until you just asked me that question. But I've always had problems with sleep. Like my entire life, I've had problems sleep problems, like mainly trouble sleeping and like my, in, ever since I was a little kid even. And maybe that's why, like, how come that's never occurred to me? I can't believe I never thought of that. But, um, yeah, just the whole idea that he could get you in your sleep really terrified me. Like I didn't want to go, to, I slept with the lights on for like a week or two after that movie because I was so scared he was going to come get me 
in my sleep. And of course, the fantastic scene that I just, I just think it's such an awesome scene with um, Amanda Wiss going all over the ceiling and the oh, blood. Yeah. I just, I love that scene so much. That's one of my favorite horror movie scenes. Yes. Um, and just, yeah, I think just the whole sleep thing is what scares me so bad about it. So for you, as, as a woman who had trouble sleeping, Freddie is a problem for you. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, but I don't think I ever connected it to my sleep problems until just now. And I feel so silly <laughs> because that's never occurred to me. <laughs> but um, that has to be why. That has to be it. I'm terrified of the water. And yet Jaws is my favorite movie of all time. But when I watch Jaws, and especially the, the attack that bothers me the most is the opening. And I, it's not because I don't swim because I think something's going to eat me. I can't stand the feel of the water. I don't like being under it. And when I see scenes in movies where people are drowning, I'm, I remember the abyss. If you remember that scene where they had to swim and share the air kind yeah. of thing. And yeah. the water is coming up and one of them is going to have to drown. That's yeah. what's going to have to happen. I mean, I'm sitting in, in the theater. My fingers were dug into the armrest because it's like, I, I mean, I've, I've experienced that. I agree with that person that said that horror is personal. It's something that touches something in us. And like you said, may not even be aware that it's touching something personal in you. But there's a reason why something stands out that way. Yeah, I agree. It is, it is personal. Um, and that's, you know, your preference, I guess, of what whatever subgenre, you know, you, you tend to enjoy, I think is, is personal. So. Absolutely. And I think that's where horror works its best. So as a reviewer um, and, and someone who's seeing, like you said, you've seen so many horror films, what do you see coming down the pike and, and how do you feel about the genre? What do you see coming in and what are some disturbing trends? We'll start wrapping it up there. Like what, what do you see that, concerns you as a reviewer and, and, and a film and what do you see as hope and, and good things that are coming? Well, I think the biggest thing that concerns me is um, what I mentioned earlier about filmmakers referring to their movies as something other than horror. Um, Interesting. You know, for Ari Aster to call Hereditary a family drama, I mean, what? I, <laughs> just, I don't know. It just, it seems like they're reaching for any other way to describe it than horror yeah. and it is it's a horror movie oh my god it's just so simple i get so frustrated with that and and that really concerns me um especially when those movies are doing so well and yeah they're they're fantastic movies and they should be doing well but they need to be called horror movies i mean there's nothing wrong with that it's they're they're horror movies and it's okay to like horror movies so that that's something that really concerns me um as popular as you know like get out hereditary midsummer as popular as those movies are, that really worries me that we're going to continue in that direction. But I, I hope that I'm wrong and filmmakers will learn to embrace the word horror. It's not a dirty word. Um, you know, uh, that's what I hope will happen. I also, I just, um, like I said, I really enjoy indie horror, in, indie film in general, but especially independent horror. And there just have been some really amazing films that I've come across, especially in recent years. And it's usually hard for these, you know, filmmakers to get the word out about their movies. But um, we might be doing a little better with that. Uh, I think, you know, with a lot of these movies playing the festival circuit and, you know, word will start to get around, you know, about a particular movie. A lot of them do go to BOD, which I think makes them more accessible. Uh, because if, you know, let's say a really indie horror film is released in theaters, it will be in a really 
really limited release. And unless you live in, you know, LA or New York or somewhere, which I don't, I live very far from in either one of those places, you'll never be able to see that movie. And that's something that frustrates me, but it seems like a lot more are going to VOD, which, you know, like I said, will give people more access, I hope. I mean, I'm hoping this is what's happening. And, and I would like to see those those movies get more exposure. I know that that those, you know, indie filmmakers are don't have big budgets to work with. They don't have a lot of money to put into marketing and things. But like I said, usually those films rely on word of mouth. I just, I mean, I have had so many filmmakers tell me that they appreciated, you know, just when they see people discussing their movie and recommending it to other people, because that's how people find out about their movie, just from word of mouth. And so, yeah, I think just um, that that's something I'm hopeful for, that independent film will get more exposure. And, and like I said, I'm hoping that, you know, with these movies playing festival circuits and early word starts to get out, and, and then with them going to VOD, giving people more access, that's something I'm, I'm hoping that will improve. I think that's that's a great assessment right there and a great way to, to end this interview. I, I, I can't even thank you enough for that. I think it's terrific, that insight. Well, you're welcome. I um, Yeah, I, I just get so frustrated seeing these indie filmmakers, you know, not being able to pay their rent or whatever. And, you know, things like that just frustrate me when they're putting out such amazing films. And, yeah, I'm really frustrated by that. You know, the, the problem is, is that the, the theatrical venues are just crowded by this giant big budget product. And there's yeah. just no way. I mean, a film like Halloween, if it were released now instead of 1978, it would be on VOD. It would never make the theaters. It wouldn't have time right. to find an audience. It wouldn't have time to grow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty insane. <laughs> yeah. So, well, listen, I can't thank you enough for being on. I think this is great. I'm, I'm, you're even welcome for the therapy session to find out why Nightmare on Elm Street scared you. <laughs> yes, thank you. I can't believe that's a recording. Oh, my gosh. Well, well, thank you so much for asking me to be on. I really um, appreciate it. Well, I hope you had a good time, and, and I'm going to let Amanda Wiss know about this, too. So I'm sure she'll oh, yeah, she's she'll, awesome. uh, enjoy knowing. Yeah, she is. I love her. So it, it's terrific. So, um, But, yes, I thank you so much for being on. And, uh, and again, continuing our professional relationship into the future, I, I always look forward to what you write, whatever I send you. So whether it's good or bad, I love it. So thank you for all the work that you do for, and also for not just the genre, but for film in general. Thank you. Thank you. Head on over to iTunes and give me a like and review. And if you want to read my cinema blog, you'll find it at horrorfuel.com forward slash author forward slash Harrison.